Action Park Media. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glutton. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. Today on the show, I welcome back Dr. Will Cole. He is a leading functional medicine expert and has a new book coming out in February called Intuitive Fasting. Please enjoy our conversation. Dr. Will Cole, welcome back to the American Glutton Podcast. My goodness. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. You have a new book. I do. Let's let's hear about this new book. I'm excited. Yeah, it is called Intuitive Fasting. So, I mean, my day job, as you know, I mean, my focus, my passion is consulting patients. We started one of the first functional medicine telehealth centers over 12 years ago. I've been consulting people via webcam for all that time. And you see a lot of commonalities. You see a lot of differences whenever you're talking to people all day about their health. And a tool that we've used over the years is fasting. And I've seen how fasting can be done right, how it can be done wrong. And I really wanted to put that functional medicine perspective on fasting in the book in a way that's flexible, in a way that's approachable, in a way that, as its name implies, it's intuitive fasting. I want people to get to a place where they just really know their body. They know what their body needs. They know what their body doesn't need and really operate from that place of intuition, which is what I want for anybody using any wellness tool. But it's really hard to do that when your body is out of balance, when somebody's blood sugars are all over the place, when somebody has chronic inflammation, when somebody has hormonal imbalances, it's really hard to know what their body needs because is it intuition or is it hangriness? Is it intuition or insatiable cravings? Is it intuition or stress eating or emotional eating? Stress eating is not intuitive eating. So I want people to get to that place of intuition, but it's, it's nice to say that. You know, It sounds nice on social media to say, I'm, I'm a fan of intuitive eating, but talk to what, any one of my patients when they first meeting me it's really hard to really know what your body needs when your body is in having that proverbial noise of, of inflammation and, and blood sugar problems. Yeah. Okay. There's two, there's two things here. I've, I've talked to a lot of people about fasting and a lot of people have had a, huge successes with it. When we get into intuitive, intuitive stuff, I think that, that, you know, whether it's a, it's a goal I wrote down or I thought about in literal terms. The idea was always like, I'm going to get to a point where I can just eat. And, you know, once I shed this weight and it's not an issue that I think that that is me approaching the idea of intuitive eating in that way. But what I'll say is it doesn't get there easily. Like there, there's a lot of work that has to be done you know, because if I had just gone like 20 years ago when I was 500 pounds, I'm just going to eat when my body tells me to eat. 
this would have been a disaster. I would have gotten nowhere. Yeah. And so over the course of the last couple of years, the last couple of years, honestly, I've been most focused on let me design a meal that I know is an appropriate meal to the day and the energy output that I'm that I'm giving and then I'm going to eat this meal and I'm going to try to pay attention to any signals that my body gives off while I'm eating it or when I'm finished eating it because I, I really do feel like I have blunted my intuition or anything innate that that my body any of these signals that we would use to deal with food through just years of abuse and ignoring them. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, well said. I think you have to put the work in. You have to put the intention, the effort in, the consistency in to actually gain. Because it's really about metabolic flexibility. I mean, your body is metabolically flexible. You have, there's, a, there's an intuition. There's a grace. There's a lightness. There's an awareness, a discernment on what your body needs and doesn't need. And that takes time to build that. But metabolic inflexibility, like metabolic rigidity, is where most people find themselves in in the West. They're constantly in the sugar-burning mode. I mean, metabolic inflexibility is the death of intuition because you won't know. Can we, like, t- can, we break that, can we break that down just so I understand what, what, what it means in layman terms, metabolic inflexibility? Sure. So we have – two main modes of fueling our body, burning sugar or burning, for fat, burning fat for fuel. Most people to various degrees are burning sugar for fuel. So the analogy that's used oftentimes, and I use it in a book, but it's, it's like kindling on the fire. You're going to get fuel, but you have to keep putting kindling all day long to maintain that blaze, that fuel of energy. And or you're going to get hangry, you're going to, light's going to go out and you're going to be really uh, tired and fatigued and craving more foods, more kindling on the fire. Now you have dirty kindling of uh, the standard Western diet, carbohydrates, junk food, all of that stuff, refined carbohydrates. And then you have the cleaner kindling of whole foods that break down into, carb- into sugar, into glucose. So whether that be you know, fruits or smoothies or starches, like potatoes or whole grains, anything like that, it's still going to be kindling nonetheless. It's, it's cleaner, but still kindling. And the alternative is burning fat for fuel. That's our own body fat as well as exogenous fats from our food, uh, healthy fats from, from breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So most people, I want people to have the ability to burn both. There's a time and place for clean kindling. There's a time and place for burning fat, fat for fuel. But the lack of knowing what your body needs, like you said, it would be a disaster if somebody's metabolically inflexible, telling them to eat intuitively, they would go for those cravings or the, the, the food is going to move them away from their goal nine times out of ten. So what you have to do is start to allow your metabolism to, to gain the metabolic ability to burn fat for fuel. So intermittent fasting is an amazing tool to do that, paired with a clean ketogenic diet too, because a clean ketogenic diet and intermittent fasting both increase ketosis. So when you're fasting, you're increasing ketosis and a clean ketogenic diet, you're increasing ketosis as well. So beta hydroxybutyrate, which is a ketone that our body makes, it's not just a way to burn fat, which you will be burning fat, but it is also a signaling molecule for our body to do a lot of really important things for our health. It would be balancing our brain, 
balancing mitochondria function, increasing mitochondrial function, balancing our gut microbiome. It's repairing a lot of things that are dysfunctional. So, and one of the things it's allowing your mitochondria to learn to burn fat for fuel. So the research refers to somebody that's metabolically inflexible, like just in sugar burning mode, they call it metabolic indecision. Mm. So they don't have the ability to actually to make a decision and actually burn fat and burn sugar. So it's stuck in this sort of metabolic purgatory, which is miserable for people to be stuck on. So fasting is a way to break out of that metabolic purgatory, to actually tap into fat burning. And there's, I, I talk about this in the book, but there's a time and place for that clean kindling too. Like a cyclical ketotarian approach is, or a, a ebbing and flowing of fasting windows, these tools you can really leverage to have clean carbs when you want to, but you can tap back into this fat burning mechanisms because you've built that metabolic flexibility to do that. Right. I go back to, you know, when I first heard about the paleo diet and stuff like that, there's something about it that, and, 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 and listen, in, in full transparency, like I, I had a bowl of rice today, so I, I, I'm not, I'm not a paleo person. Um, but, I, but I will also say like, some of the stuff I'm thinking about is like I'm not going to eat carbs towards the end of the day when I'm not active because that's not the way I want to fuel my body towards the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So so I wind up having my my higher fat meals or, or my – I get more calories from fat towards the end of the day and more calories from carbs in before I go to the gym basically. But mm-hmm. when I think about – the arguments for paleo, and again, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a doctor, but it makes sense to me that like, you know, we're we're kind of programmed to stumble upon a berry bush and and figure out how to get every single berry into our body. But then there's no other berries available generally, or it's for a short window and then they're gone because we've eaten them all or they're seasonal Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. And then for the most part, we are going back to fat-burning ketosis. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know how a human body evolves so rapidly to kind of blink into the modern world and be only eating, for the most part, in the Western world, carbs. That's the fuel. Yeah. And so I, I think there's got to be something to the ability to – switch back and forth or try this out. That's, that's my rationalization of all of yeah, this kind I of totally stuff. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, we, you can even look. I mean, the researchers agree with you too. I mean, the researchers that are looking at this from an ancestral health perspective, and a lot of the fasting research is looking at this as well, is that our genetics haven't changed in 10,000 years. But yet, like you said, like our world has changed very dramatically in a very short period of time when comparing like the totality of human history. So you look at the food supply and the way that we're doing life. I mean, our, our modern life has such amazing uh, benefits to it. And there's some good things, of course, there's great things about modernity. But we've lost our birthright of having that metabolic flexibility because our genetics are living in this brave new world and constantly being consuming the things that hasn't evolved for us. So this genetic epigenetic mismatch, like our genome and the world around us 
that chasm is growing wider and wider. And that's at the heart of a lot of researchers exploring why these metabolic issues, why these autoimmune issues, why these mental health issues are growing like never before in human history when our genetics haven't changed. So it's this, this evolutionary mismatch. And fasting takes us back to that birthright. It resets our metabolism to actually have the resilience and the flexibility to burn fat and burn sugar and feel good. Paracelsus, the father of one of the fathers of modern medicine, you know, of course we have Hippocrates, but Paracelsus is known as the father of toxicology in Switzerland in the late 1400s, early 1500s. He called fasting the physician within, which I think summarizes it pretty dang well. It's like this, your body has these innate healing pathways that have been dormant probably since we were little because of modernity that we're able to really activate the position within to allow our body to repair itself when we just allow it the time to do so. Yeah, I do think of it's so bizarre because as we evolve, we actually output so much less energy than we used to. We walk less. We are less active work, you know, and I know there's still dudes who do construction and, and you know, work on fishing boats and logging things and like using their bodies a lot. But a lot of that has become automot autom automated also. And so mm -hmm. the refined complex carbs I think of as like a rocket fuel. And, mm -hmm. and then we have this other thing that we had forever where we had another gear where our body didn't need that rocket fuel that we just don't use anymore when in fact we're almost – None of us, unless you're an athlete or one of these guys who's having a massive output of energy every day, really in a state where you're using that kind of fuel. Yeah, absolutely. I think like you said, like you're using these clean carbs around a heavy workout. When you're, you need that clean kindling and you need that extra fuel, that makes sense. But many people are just having this kindling all day long and that's all they're depending on. There's no log on the fire. There's no fat for fuel going on and they're stuck in this kindling burning state and you can leverage the benefits of both. Uh, if you are up against a heavy workout or you're really doing some endurance stuff, you probably are going to want some clean kindling and there's nothing wrong with that. But people are just depending on the kindling as their only fuel and there's no log on the fire. And that's where pe most people find themselves in on a metabolic level. Um, but this, and that's what, the, when you ha have these conversations with people, in wellness world, it's like one or the other, right? You have like the, the vegans in the plant-based world and they just think like, well, no, it's, it's kindling all day long. And then it's the fat, the keto world and that, the low carb world. They're like, no, fat's the only. Well, the truth as it oftentimes is, is somewhere in the middle and context matters. And there's a time and place for both of those things. And that's what I'm really advocating for people to, to look at with intuitive fasting is like, let's, use these amazing tools in a way that serves us without being super tribal and obsessive about. Yeah, I think it. I, I've been paying kind of attention just, you know, for 40 years now, just because I was subjected to diets against my will and then entered into being like an amateur professional dieter in my early 20s and was just kind of like, let me, is this the one, is this the one looking for these solutions? But I have watched over the past few years, the divide grow and it's, it's almost become, and, and I, I don't think it is, but it's 
almost like this dogmatic, religious, factional, political kind of like the Protestants and the Catholics, you know, are are opposed because God has told them to be opposed, each one's version of that. And 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 you go like I've even seen a couple of I don't I don't want to say anybody's names, but like I, I remember a guy who who a number of years ago when I was first introduced to him was was saying plants are bad. And we need mm-hmm. to just eat meat. And now I just heard now he's no, he's a full vegan guy now. And he's saying like meat is bad and we just need to eat plants. And I'm like, this all becomes so confusing. There's got to be a time yeah. and a place for all of it. A- and I'm not advocating for Doritos. You know, I, I actually <laughs> I actually don't think those are really good for you. So I don't really eat those. But I also don't think a bag of Doritos a handful of times a year is going to really harm you. But if that's what mm-hmm. you're getting the the majority of your fuel from, that can't be a good spot. Yeah, I, I, exactly. I think that it's you can use these amazing tools that we talk about in wellness in a way that works for you, in a way that serves you, in a way that actually is bettering your life. Because I see a lot of, like you said, this unintended, you know, I'll be unintended, but it's still real where there's, there's a lot of this shame and it creates this orthorexia, which is a, a, something that I've seen grow over the years of the democratization of information, which is a great thing. Like we're having these amazing conversations, people are writing about it, people are podcasting about it, all cool stuff. But it's like the double-edged sword is there's so much information that it, it's like too much for the vessel to contain of the average person that doesn't live and breathe this stuff. So then they think, what the heck? I like I'm they're afraid of eating vegetables if the for the carb content or they're afraid of eating this food because of the lectins or they're afraid of eating this because of the oxalates or the salicylates or whatever the case may be. But it's like, okay, all of the stuff is relatively true for certain people and yeah, we can have a conversation about it, but there's no like nuance. There's no like context to like what we're talking about. And then you get people that are afraid to eat whole foods. And I think under the umbrella of whole foods, fasting and balance, a measured approach, you, we, the goal is to find out what your body loves. And it's not being obsessive or shaming yourself into wellness, which just will never happen. Yeah. And anecdotally, I have definitely gone, gone to bed with a stomach full of ice cream and pastries and woke up feeling basically hungover i have eaten an entire pot of like swiss uh cheese fondue and gotten the runs so i've had direct kind of reactions to overdoing these Mm -hmm. things but what i've never had a bad reaction to is a big bowl of vegetables Mm -hmm. i've i've for sure overeaten stuff uh, you know or a piece of meat i've not had a bad reaction to these things and so for me it's just like you know if i'm not spiking something so severely in one way or the other i do okay with it you know i can have a bowl of rice before the gym and i'm not going to feel sick at all in the day but if i eat a big thing of ice cream before I go to bed, I probably will be grumpy and not feel great the next day. That's just me. So anecdotally, I, I, I feel some connection with these principles. Yeah. And if you, and you start learning about your body, I think you learn about your body, you know what your body needs, know what your body doesn't need. And then it's, it's not about this program or this diet. It's about your end of one experiment 
you've seen it firsthand. So what I want people to do, whether, you know, that's why I wrote intuitive fasting is for people to walk through learning about their bodies because there's a time to eat and a time to break from eating to build that metabolic flexibility. And then they start to learn and grow in intuition and know, Oh, look, I feel great when I do this. I feel really lousy when I do this. And then it's not, it, there's this transition that happens where it's not this, I can't have these foods and Oh my gosh, I really miss this stuff. And I'm just, that in the back of my mind, just like lusting after this food that I quote unquote can't have because it's off my diet. It's not about that. That it's about whoa. I love feeling better more than I miss that food that made me feel like shit. Right. You know, I, that's the, the transition that I want people to make. And it that that's freedom. That's food peace of like truly knowing whoa. Like I can eat that food when I want to, but then you can use that as a mindfulness tool of saying like, was it worth it? Maybe it was worth it. And then eat it. Like you said, have that bag of Doritos and move on with your life. Right. But maybe you eat it and it's not worth it, but you know, this is how it made you feel. Most people are so disillusioned to even know what foods make them feel a certain way. So when they start breaking it down and growing and using mealtime as a mindfulness tool, you start to grow in awareness and intuition about food as medicine. I can also testify to that. That, that was something prior to dieting of my own volition I had no idea that my mood or anything else could be affected by what I ate. And I think I was just constantly in a fog of, of all this stuff that was kept in check by, by continuing to eat these things. But once I had some time under my belt of eating in a way that I was actually losing weight, so going in the opposite direction, it was much easier for me to notice when I would eat something how it could have an effect on my mood. Now, I, I don't know if this is uh, partially psychosomatic in just going like, I don't think I should be doing this thing and now I'm doing it and now it's having some effect on my morale. That's possible too, but physiologically I felt stuff, you know, so it's it was valid yeah. for me. Which you know, I I now I now far prefer having energy and 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 feeling good and feeling happy. And so if mm-hmm. that that trade off of a big bowl of ice cream at night is a real thing that I consider. Like I'm not going to feel great tomorrow. Is it worth it? Yeah, right. And it, that food piece, I think, is the place to get to. And that's like the end of. And of the book, I talk about as a whole chapter about this food piece of using fasting, which is at the beginning of it, it's like counterintuitive. It's like, how could fasting get you to a place of food peace? But when you start growing in metabolic flexibility, you start burning fat for fuel, you start feeling better, that's encouraging too. Their trade-off, it's not it's normally not worth it. Like to to not feel good is like it's like not worth it. Uh, you'd rather feel good than you miss the food that, that made you feel lousy. So that's, that's, that is the breaking of that, that obsession, shame, diet culture that we talked about before that many men, many women, many people all ha- are shackled by. Uh, and I want people to have that freedom to not be obsessive about this stuff because it's not, it's, it's, it's going to fail us. It's like a whole diet industry set up for you to, it's it's not set up for sustainable wellness. It's set up for for these short term goals, short term quick fix results. But that's not going to work for long term. You have to actually build 
metabolic resilience. You actually can have the proper hormonal signaling, proper satiety signaling to know, hey, this food makes me feel good. This food doesn't. So that's that's the that's the genesis of sustainable wellness. I think of any kind of venture like this. There is got there is always some kind of an adjustment period where you you're gonna go through some stuff. It's not it, yeah. you know I don't think any any of it's while we try to de- design these things to have the best outcome and be the most confrontable physically and mentally. There is stuff to go through. So when I think about fasting, I I, I kind of think about you know I I have in my life years and years ago done all liquid diets and. I just remember the first maybe even 10 days or or maybe even a little bit more than that being really brutal. And once I got through that, it, you just kind of are like, well, this is what we're doing now. So, so a lot of the signals like hunger kind of get shut off or they just become different. Mm-hmm. I'm not walking around starving all the time. And so I want to know if you have a, 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 any ways of – suggesting people get through that with with something like starting fasting. And and now I understand intuitive eating and I understand fasting and intermittent fasting, but I don't know that I understand intuitive fasting. Yeah. So I if fasting at the beginning won't be intuitive at all. So the book's called intuitive fasting. That's the goal. You're not going to be there at first. So and, and when I I write that in the book when I say, like, look, at the beginning, it's going to be anything but intuitive. But that's the goal. That's what we're building here. So you can get to the place of intuitive eating and fasting. You'll know when your body's hungry. You'll know when your body's full. You have the discernment to know which foods to focus on. That's hormonal signaling clarity and just lowered inflammation, healthier gut health, all that stuff we're building over these weeks and months that it's going to take to build that. Um, so I built and organized a four-week flexible fasting plan for the book. And this is just born out of me consulting patients and seeing, okay, what are these tools that I need the reader of the book to, to do? So the book leads them into, starts off with a light fasting and then incrementally leans them into deeper fasting. And we're pairing the time-restricted feeding or intermittent fasting with a clean ketogenic diet or ketotarian, which you and I have talked about this before, but it's yeah. just my made-up word for mostly plant-based keto, which is the title of my first book. So basically, I paired the two together because they synergistically really complement each other. They're both supporting ketosis. They're both supporting lowered inflammation levels, and you're not trying to fast your way out of a poor diet. A lot of the research in the scientific literature was done to show you don't have to change your diet dramatically to see benefits of time-restricted feeding or fasting, which is good for research, but not good for sustainable health. I'm not advocating people to like just junk, eat junk food and then fast. That's not what we're looking for when it comes to sustainable health. And even to that point, I have a buddy who I had on the show who, who was, who, who went vegan and then was still not losing weight. And so he started intermittent fasting, still not losing weight. And so he had to do like a, a whole like he still had to like restrict his food within that feeding window because otherwise he he would just sit and eat vegan ice cream he said and gain weight and so i think what i think this is an important thing you know like 
I have friends who have gone into intermittent fasting and gone like, no, dude, I didn't eat for 16 hours. I can eat whatever I want. And they'll sit and eat three pizzas. And it's just like, I don't know that you're, you're achieving what you're like. What, I don't think you have to, you know what I mean? Like if you're just going to eat yeah. anything, it, it might not be worthwhile. Yeah, exactly. And I think at that point you have to look at what that kind of resembles. It kind of resembles, disordered eating disguised as a wellness practice. It's like, I don't know if thinking that you're going to punish your body by fasting because you can eat the, this food that's going to raise, you know, inflammation levels. I, don't, I mean, once in a while, it's one thing. We're all humans and we can do whatever we, we want. But if this is like your regular go-to thing, I don't know if it's really going to be something that's going to lend itself to sustainable health, physical health and mental, emotional health. But, you know, I, I that's, with intuitive fasting, we start off with a light time restricted feeding, which is super easy. Week one is a 12-12 fasting to eating window. So it's eating for within a 12-hour window and fasting within a 12-hour window. So basically, it looks like eating between 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. So you're eating these clean keto foods that are complementing that time restricted feeding, and you're fasting through the night until you break the fast at breakfast. That's week one. For somebody that's super metabolically inflexible, they're super hangry, super irritable, I say in the book, you can repeat week one as many weeks as you want because I don't want you to crash through these four weeks just because I'm telling you this is a four-week cycle. You can self-pace this. I know readers are going to be, I'm going to be meeting them at different points of their health journey. But week two, it goes into an 18-hour fast, which is a six-hour eating window or an 18-hour fast. That is like as me eating between noon and 6 p.m. So that's a six-hour window, and then you're fasting after six all the way until the next day until noon. That's an 18-hour fast. And then week three is the deepest fast. That's an almost OMAD fast. What's OMAD? OMAD is an acronym. It's an acronym that stands for one meal a day, okay. OMAD. So it's a 22 to 2 fasting to eating window. So basically it'd be me eating 2 to 4 p.m., something like that. And then week four, we're loosening it back up to 12-12. So I want people to cycle through those four-week flexible fasting plan to – it's like that proverbial yoga class that, like you said at the top of the conversation, you're putting the work in. I want people to cycle through these four weeks of ebbing and flowing these vacillating eating and fasting windows to gain metabolic flexibility. And some people are going to have to do that three or four months to really get to the place of metabolic flexibility. Many people are going to do it one or two, and they'll see amazing changes for their health. But you have to give your body the time to repair things. You have to give your body time to tap into that position within. Who who is the who is the main person who this benefits? Is this weight loss? Is this autoimmune? What are we handling here? It's really... Anybody, honestly, because look, the metabolic inflexibility manifests in many different ways for many different people. So this is an approachable tool that anybody can lean into. The difference is what happens when you tap into the position within. That's going to look different for different people. So this using food as medicine in a very specific way, diet variation in the sense of you're ebbing and flowing your eating windows, because just to bring this point clearly, this deeper fast is, is not about caloric restriction. 
a chronic caloric restriction, restriction is not the same as intermittent fasting. You are not restricting your calories during these, these tighter eating windows. You're just eating those, your calories in a, in a tighter window. So that's very different. You're, you're being very strategic about when you're eating, not how much you're eating. Right. So that is what the research is centered around. That is the opposite. That's the antithesis. Chronic caloric restriction is the antithesis of intermittent fasting. So that's not to say that sometimes with the tighter windows, some people tend to eat a little bit less, but that's not all the studies that have been done. They're controlled for calories, meaning that people that ate the same amount of calories, the person that fasted intermittent fasting saw better outcomes in their health versus somebody that ate the same amount of calories all day long. Right. I got it. That's, that sounds cool. I still haven't tried intermittent fasting. I mean, I want to try intermittent fasting. I want to try carnivore and I want to try veganism. I haven't, I haven't tried any of those things mostly because I'm rolling along smoothly and I want to like get to where I'm going on this before I change it up. And then it'll just be experimentation to see if I do well, but it sounds very rational to me. And and I think anytime, anytime anybody's having any kind of a, a struggle with responsibility involving food that doing something like this is a great way to kind of get some structure going. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's just something you can layer in to anything you're doing. Cause if you're eating whole foods, healthy foods, like you're eating, it's a tool to amplify what you're doing. Cause you can, eat clean and then just strategize when you're eating these calories and you're intuitively already doing it. Like you said, like you're not going to have the carbs, the clean carbs at the end of the day, you're having around a heavy workout. So you're kind of already intuitively making these adjustments that I talk about in the book. And I say that like strategize the benefits of these clean carbs around a heavy workout. And most people don't know that. So they're just like wanting to me, like eating these things unconsciously. But when you start growing intuition, you're already making these adjustments just through you learning about your body. But I want people to have that roadmap to learn. They can do that. They don't have to just be shooting in the dark, thinking that, hoping that they're doing the right thing. But actually, know, like, hey, look, this is this is something you can do for sustainable health. Yeah, I think that's really, really the key to, and I'm I'm glad I'm glad you talk about this and you talk about it in your book is with with the intuitive stuff. You know, because for me, the first time I heard intuitive, I was like, you got to be crazy. Nothing. My intuition got me like to rehab multiple times, 500 plus pounds. All my blood work was a disaster, like congestive heart failure. Like it was really bad. That's where my intuition got me. And so just telling me to like pay more attention to what I, my body's telling me it would not have worked well, but like with some knowledge around food and the idea of how your body uses it and how your body reacts to it and what the different things are doing for you and some effort and work into that's, that for sure is my goal. My goal is to be able to eat in an almost subconscious way, that's not going to harm me. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's, 
and that's the truth. I mean, on the other side of it, when you're in the throes of um, imbalance and insulin resistance and cravings of all sorts, that oftentimes masks itself as it disguises itself as intuition, like imbalance disguising itself as intuition. But intuition ultimately wants actually to bring about homeostasis in the body. It wants to create balance and survival. The human body wants to survive. But when your body's in the throes of imbalance, the hormone, your gut brain axis, all that stuff are, are not signaling properly. So it's actually, you're going to be craving things when, and you're in that state, in this sugar burning inflamed state, it's actually going to, your body's going to crave things that are actually going to perpetuate that imbalance because it's trying to get the quick fix. It's trying to create some kindling on the fire, but it's short lived. It's going to fuse, uh, blow fuse, and you're not going to be there sustainably. So, but when you create that soundness and calm that proverbial noise in the body, calm that inflammation, calm the blood sugar roller coaster that many people find themselves on, then they, they can actually hear that still small voice of their intuition. That's what you're doing in your life. You've experimented to lean into these practices, but this is something that anybody can tap into. They just have to know how to do it. I cannot remember the last time I went to bed thinking about pizza or double cheeseburgers from Carl's Jr. or something like that. Like it just doesn't really happen anymore in that way. Now, I'm not going to lie. I see that the McRib is back and I think <laughs> I bet that's delicious. You know, the McRib looks yeah. like a delicious sandwich and I haven't had one since I was a child. And so the thought occurs to me when I look at the billboard yeah. like, wow, that looks pretty good. But once I drive by, I'm not really thinking about it anymore. I, I, I bring it up yeah. only now be, as an example because it yeah. used to be that my standard practice was I would eat by myself, you know, enough calories for a family of five alone at home right before I went to bed. And usually this was all fast food. So it was like packed to the gills with awful fat and and carbs and – it took a long time before I wasn't going to bed thinking, wait, I, I should be having – I feel like there's a p part of my life that I'm denying because I'm not having mm -hmm. this private meal with myself. And mm -hmm. now through work, those thoughts don't really occur. I can't, I can't lie and say I don't see the McRib and think like that's, that's gross or I'm not going to have that. I, I don't think I will have it, but I do think it looks delicious. Yeah, right. And then that's a, that when you're at that place, those regulatory mechanisms are in place where even if you decided to have that make rib, you're going to, it's going to be a completely different experience. It's going to be like eating, eating it in a way that I advocate it, just eating it mindfully, seeing how it makes you feel. And then take inventory. How's your digestion? How's your inflammation levels feel? Is there like swelling or, you know, any edema or feeling just like gross? Are you feeling worse after you had it? Like you can use that, whatever that food is that we may deem as like a junk food, quote unquote, you can use that as a, is it worth it? And then you decide, you know, is it, is it serving you or not? Is it worth it or not? And if it is something that you enjoy, then you can eat it, move on with your life, quit shaming yourself. And if it's not worth it, believe me, you will be way less likely to do it again because you will you'll have less of it or you won't have it at all because you'd rather feel great than you missed that food. Yeah, and for the purposes of experimentation, just so we're very clear with people, 
if you want to do these kind of experiments, it requires kind of getting your system cleaned out of the stuff first. If you eat yeah. ribs every day and you go no. like, yeah, I'm going to see how I feel today. It probably won't, um, it probably won't, you probably won't notice it if this is just standard no. practice for you. But yeah, once you have changed your dietary intake drastically for some period of time, it's, I found it to be quite evident how I felt eating different things, mostly with processed foods. Yeah. You know, anything that like was recently alive or – yeah, Reese, I would say recently alive in both animal and vegetable form that then, you know, goes from that state of being alive to cooked without being tinkered with too much Mm -hmm. doesn't – generally have much of an effect on me other than I, I was hungry, I'm full, I have energy, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there, many people, are, again, are so divorced from these mechanisms of satiety and knowing what their body wants from even just uh, knowing how food impacts their body. Many people are just so divorced from that. They don't know which way is up, which way is down. There's so much conflicting information online and then their body's conflicted too, where there's no discernment and clarity on what their body loves and hates. So this is something that is all of our birthright as human. Like we can tap into these pathways that how are there for us that are laying in dormancy that we need to awaken. Like Paracelsus said, that father of medicine said, he said, it's the physician within it's intermittent fasting. So it's an amazing tool to, to use. And like you said, like there are many ways to tap into that physician within that like you haven't leaned into fasting, but it's a tool for people to pick up if they want to. Yeah. I, I haven't tried that. I, I, you know, I, I have done versions of fast, not just with water. I don't know. I don't know what, what, what you're having um, in between feeding windows, if it's just water or like coffee or whatever people. Yeah. Water, basically it's normally things about calories. You can have water, tea or coffee. That's what you're having when you're fasting. And then you obviously, when you break to fast, you're eating as normal. Right. Yeah. I can, I can only imagine that um, doing that also with, you know, the, the only thing that doesn't make sense to me is if, if, if you're going to choose this small window and and still load up on like an obscene amount of highly processed foods in your no. window where it's like you're doing all this work and then I think you might be giving away the benefits at that point. Yeah. Well, I, I, there's studies that show that there's a, a pathway. It's called a PKR pathway. Basically, it raises up metaflammation or systemic inflammation when people do that. So they try to fast their way out of a poor diet and then they're eating all this food in these short amount of windows. It's actually not beneficial. So you have to, from a sustainable health standpoint, eat foods that complement the fast and fast in a way that complements the food too. So you have to use both sides of the coin. They're both tools to pick up and use. And that's why eating in a way that really edifies blood sugar balance, edifies lowered inflammation, all the stuff we want to be building on with the fast, we want to eat food that really taps into that too, that works synergistically because there's so much cool stuff we can do to boost our brain function, improve BDNF, like actually allowing our body to make new neurons and 
increased mitochondrial function, increasing autophagy or the cellular recycling pathways. This is the stuff we can tap into with intermittent fasting, but you don't want to then raise up inflammation when you break the fast. That's the, that's defeating the purpose. Right. Awesome. I can't wait to try this. Dr. Cole, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me again. Yeah. I can't wait for the next one. I guess you got to write more books so we can keep talking. <laughs> Anytime. Thanks, Dan. All right. Talk to you soon. Talk to you later. Bye. And now for the Q&A. This is a question from Dennis. Hi, Dennis. He says, can you give any advice about maintaining a healthy lifestyle while on a budget? Yeah. I think my idea about this really is that, well, here's the thing. If you're, if you are, if you are anorexic, I think that a healthy lifestyle would require more money. That's my, I mean, I don't really know how anorexia works. So I don't know if you're buying food and looking at it and, and not eating it. So I, I, I take that back because I, I can't speak to anorexia, to be honest with you. But the whole idea, like from from my experience is, you know, two, 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 I guess there's two parts to this. One, I don't eat fast food anymore. Fast food tends to be pretty cheap. So, but if I go to the grocery store and, and buy all the food I'm going to eat and prepare it myself, I can do that even more cost efficiently or cost effectively than eating at fast food. I get a little bit annoyed living in Los Angeles about all the like non-GMO, organic, you know, lectin-free cucumbers that are suddenly GMO hybrids with fucking something else. And at the idea of a doctor saying that the only healthy diet and lifestyle is really expensive and you got to go to these expensive organic stores, farmers markets, the produce tends to be, I think, maybe I'm totally wrong about this. I actually don't give a shit if something's organic or not. I, I, if, the, if, the, if the vegetable looks good to me, that's what I'm getting. And uh, more often than not, you know, you go to Whole Foods and you think everything's healthy and organic. Not true. And sometimes the, the stuff that's not organic actually looks better or, you know, is more appetizing looking than the organic stuff. So my point is just that it should be less expensive. So if we're talking about budgets, if your issue is that you're consuming too much food and you are worried that going on some kind of a program to be healthier involves spending money, I don't think that's true. So I spend every Sunday meal prepping for the week. I eat breakfast Sunday. I then go to the store. I never go to the store hungry because I make bad decisions when I'm hungry. I come home if I need to eat a snack. Before I start cooking, I do that. Having had food, I then prepare my food for the week. And, it, you know, if you're buying this stuff in bulk, it's really not expensive. And then I don't go anywhere without food. So I'm not getting tempted to, like, run into a store and buy something. And that's how I deal with it. Now, in fairness, I'm not looking at prices and, and worrying about money when I go to the supermarket. But I do go out of my way to not support this idea that it has to be organic, that it has to be lectin-free, that it has to be non-GMO. And I know there's a lot of people that are super into that. I think that at some point I get 
the feeling that somebody's either trying to sell me something or making some moral or ethical decision on my behalf, and I just don't want anything to do with that. So I don't seem to have a, a bad reaction to eating GMO non-organic foods, and these tend to be less expensive, and if I prep my meals and don't eat out, that's the closest I can get to sticking to a budget. What a fucking convoluted answer to this guy's wonderful question. I got what you said. I mean... Okay, it took me a while. No, I no. I eventually got there. I think you got there. Thank you for the question, Dennis. If you have a question you would like me to answer on the show, please submit it to AmericanGlutton.net. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee, and as always, joined by my chaperone, Paige Dorian. Follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely. <laughs>